Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Event Tech Talk Show. We are now on episode five. I can't believe it. It doesn't seem like two seconds ago since we launched season two. So we're now into episode five. Um, if you missed any of the last episodes, do go and check them out on obviously all the major podcast networks, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pandora, all of your favorites. We are on all the networks. Or if you want to see our guests um, and see their expressions and see them in real life, you can check us out on eventtechtalks.com or you can go to YouTube where there are also recordings of all the episodes. Finally, before we get into today's episode and I welcome on today's guests, if you feel like you have something important to say about event technology or you have something interesting to share, a case study, an opinion, you can reach out to me at adam at eventtechlive.com. Joining me on today's episode is Ben and Gus, co-founders of Go Remote, and we are here to talk about speaker checks to seamless sessions. Gentlemen, welcome to today's episode. How are you both? Cool. Very Hi. good, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting us on. You are both remote, right? You are both in two different locations. So, Ben, where are you? Where are you calling in from today? I'm in a place called Annecy in France, so in the mountains, just not too far from Geneva. Nice, and Gus. And I'm not too far either, next to Geneva, in uh, Tonon in France as well. And Gus, you were telling me you you were actually further afield though recently, weren't you? You were in Barcelona for a couple of weeks at a, a one interesting event that we probably all heard of before. Yeah, we well actually Ben and I were at the Mobile World Congress, uh, calling the uh, working as show callers and on the the stages there. Interesting event, very interesting. Is that an event you guys have worked on previous to this, or is that something new related to like Go Remote or, or other businesses that you're involved in? That was through a different business, and yeah, I, I worked there as a production manager and chocolate for three years, but that was back in 2012, oh, 13, 14, and 15, so quite a, a while back, yeah. Ben, have you worked on the on the show before as well? Once before, yeah, so back in 2014, I think. But it's, uh, this year's been interesting because it was the first time properly in three years. I don't know if you remember the beginning of the pandemic, where World Congress was on the first event to cancel. And everyone was like, was that a good decision at the time? Was it too early? But it proved to be. But actually, it's three years since they've been there. Very, yeah, very difficult position, I think, that the team in there were in to go, you know, right at the beginning of it early. Um, I think yeah. what, it was like last week, wasn't it? That was, if you kind of tracked it back two weeks, it was like the first, the last week of normality, we call it now, I think, yeah. before you transition into mm -hmm. what was mayhem for the last two years, in all honesty. <laughs> What was it, were there any key differences that you would say? What was your experience of going this very last year or the most recent event to, to having attended previously? I'd say the main difference was the people wearing masks, obviously. Um, but uh, to be honest, this year there was, uh, again, a lot of booths, a lot of stands there, uh, a big crowd, and, and really you could see on people's face that how pleased they were to get back to the to the real life again and and, uh, and and like yeah we are reaching the other side of this pandemic now this is almost over and you could really see that on, on people's faces and the expression it was quite a quite nice actually yeah i think it was the same feeling for me last week for me was a return to convex and i would say even in a short period of time since the organizers ran that event in september a huge difference mm. 
um, in terms of, like you say, mask wearing, um, you know, what it meant to be an attendee at that event in terms of other measures. And I think just the confidence in people re-coming back to in-person events, right? Like much, much better turnout in terms of attendance. And specifically for our industry, I think what was really good was clearly a confidence in events being invested in further because they were there, people were there kind of looking at what they were buying, who they were contracting for their for their both virtual and in-person events going forward. So I think that's a that's a positive sign for the events industry all in all. Um, thanks for sharing that with me. I think it's always important when people go to, you know, key milestone events that people are very much aware of. Just sharing that experience of what it's what it was like in comparison is is good to share. Um, go remote then. If one of you, Ben, I'm going to come to you. Could you tell us a little bit more about the business, how it got started, and and maybe just um, um, an overview of kind of how you guys have been helping support the industry over the last couple of years as well. Yeah, of course. So we, we um, myself and Gus, we go back quite a long way working on various types of events, um, lots of hybrid stuff back in, you know, from around 2013, 2014 together. And when the pandemic happened, obviously it all changed, as we know, and we started to look at how that shift might occur and what kind of areas um, might need support. Like clients were coming with problems, they're trying to transition from the physical to a virtual event. We also had lots of friends in the industry who were seeing all their work disappearing. So we kind of started chatting, brainstorming about ideas and thought, well, maybe there's some area that working with some of the speakers needed support. We saw that there was lots of platforms and lots of technologies, but there were the speakers were struggling. People were struggling with the, the technology. Um, so what we started to look at was how we can help them. So we got in that speaker management, essentially virtual speaker management. So we call ourselves virtual stage managers. And we do a similar thing to what a, um, a stage manager might do in a in the normal physical world. It's just supporting the people who are going to be presenting, making sure they're connected right, checking them technically, that they're all set up, making sure they're briefed. Um, and over the two years of the pandemic, they started off as a very small thing, just a startup, just testing out ideas. And then we gradually built that, built our team, built different tools and technologies. So that was down to doing speaker checks, um, making calendar links and booking systems for the speakers, um, email communications, all these types of things to support that journey so that a speaker at a hybrid or a virtual event can be looked after in similar ways that they might at a physical event and not just left. But they just click a link, suddenly they're on Zoom and then suddenly they're live to the world and freaking out. So we're trying to help help manage them and support them. Gus, is there anything that you'd like to add to that? Yeah, well, I was just going, going to say, that, well, a couple of things, actually. Um, right at the beginning, people, uh, speakers, started to um, understand how it all works because a lot of them discovered what Zoom was and or Teams was uh, then. And and I think there was this, uh, I mean, everybody was working from home, uh, spending their life on their, you know, on, on, on their computer, and there was no real difference between attending a uh, another conf call you you know i've got a webex or zoom with so and so and then you jump from one to another like this all day and all of a sudden you end up on stage at, a, at, a, at an event really and this is really very much like it felt for a lot of speakers we saw like totally unprepared like oh actually i am 
I, I am shaking. I, I feel this this stress, this uh, this um, you know, like I am on stage, and there are thousands potentially of people uh, looking at me right now and hearing me, and I need to look good. And I, oh, and I've got this. I'm, I'm totally aware. I can see myself, and and I'm told that I can't. They can't hear me. Oh, like this is this was a struggle. So there's this as well that where where we felt there was this need really, and the addition. In addition to that, I wanted to say that. The volume of speakers was uh, the, the, the key element, really. When you're, as an event organizer, when you're, you have to do an event for five, ten speakers, you can handle them fairly easily. You write down on a bit of paper, okay, I've checked him, I've checked her, uh, she's good, or she's got a problem with her mic, but she said she'd fix it, that's fine. And you kind of make it work. When you have 50, 100, uh, 500 speakers, you cannot keep track of that. And... Uh, this is where uh, Luke, actually, who's the, the third man, he's not here today. Uh, Luke is the, the third co-founder of GoRemote, and he, he put together the, the systems uh, that are needed for this to, to have a systematic way of doing speaker checks, uh, keeping track of things, and making sure that um, uh, you have consistency and high level um, of, of um, well, all the, the technical side is covered for all the speakers. I, I, I have had all of these experiences myself, both as a speaker, as an attendee, and as an organizer. I think my most jarring experience as a speaker was the first time that I just looked down the barrel of a camera to speak with no audience, no feedback, literally just me in my office at home with, you know, that's that's strange when you've been so used to speaking in a in a physical environment, yeah. having having nothing, no, no. No electricity or anything. No, you know, not even having somebody else to kind of just look at. So, so strange. And I think as an industry, we expected probably speakers, a little bit too much of speakers to kind of adapt quickly to that new environment and new way of, of working, right? Completely. Yeah. And it's just from the production teams, there's so much loss of control. In the old days, you used to, you physically plug cables into speakers, you put microphones on people, you're in control as a technician or as a production manager. In this world, you you hope they log on. You hope they've plugged into the power and their internet's solid and the kids aren't playing Far Cry on the PlayStation downstairs <laughs> and all these other things that can happen or they drop, drop off midway for the event. So it's uh, the risk side and the worry from the production team and the, the tech team is just much more. Yeah, it's... And, and I've seen so much, shall we call it, negative feedback maybe around the technology, the platform, the, the, the company doing the streaming. And as somebody who's organized an event with hundreds of speakers and you can see the difference in quality coming across and different approaches often, and, and we fell into that mistake, you know, possibly not doing as much as we should have initially to check everything was, was in its place. I think one of the, one of the mistakes that came to mind was not checking when we did the speaker check with the person that they were in the place that they were going to be when the event happened. You know, something as simple as that as, oh, no, I'm actually in my holiday home or something like that or in my in the office or this isn't the camera that we're going to be using. You know, it all looks hunky-dory, doesn't it? Until and then all of a sudden everything's changed um, on, yeah. on event day. Have you come across that as well before, like people just like moving around and doing different things when it comes to event day? This is the, the number one. So our, I mean, what one part of the the speaker check process is to is is to go through a checklist essentially and this is the number one question are you in the same location as the one you would be when you're attending the event yes no and if it's a no well it triggers a whole lot of uh, a whole series of other questions to prevent that but yeah 
Yeah, I'd love from interesting places as well. I've had t- people dial in from cars, presentations. Like, it's like you're in a car. You can't really do a, an event from from here. Surely you can get to the office. Or... At least pull over, please. Yeah. <laughs> unless, unless that's like actually the aim of the event. Maybe it's a speed awareness event or something like that, an automotive event. Maybe that would be maybe that would be a cool thing to do. But yeah, it was kind of like the rule book kind of got ripped up, right? As well, maybe maybe some people viewed it as a less professional engagement and therefore you know not approached in the not approached in the same way I, i'd i'd love for because we do have professional speakers listen to this like i'm always looking for tips like ben gus if you got like one kind of like top tip for for anybody that's a professional speaker still kind of doing virtual events or hybrid events from a remote perspective that you think is always worth bearing in mind top tip I, the, the one thing i'd buy is a ring light mm. good quality ring light it's the webcam is usually pretty good on laptops these days unless you've got a really old laptop um microphone headset is obviously really good as well but a ring light is going to do a lot for you to raise the quality of the video also just just raise your raise the laptop up on yeah. some books it's literally just something as simple as putting it at eye level your framing gets better a bit of light and a headset um, I think that's enclose the applications on your computer. That's the other thing. That's, conferencing tools are really heavy. Zoom will take half of your your RAM quite easily. So just close stuff down, and you'll get much better quality and much more fluid. That's what I was going to say. I was going to go to be a bit more drastic, but reboot your your computer before starting. Mm. That's what I just did. But you know, you 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 do a whole uh, plenty of other applications. There's always lots of things running in the background. A nice reboots. You start from scratch. You 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 get rid of all the applications like a a sync. If you if you get a Teams syncing in the background, that just makes your your internet connection go yeah. go crazy, and you don't want that during your life. Yeah, that one that's not technical is is we, we sometimes say this to speakers. If you say that it's so impersonal when you're on a call with people, and you can't see the audience, but if Sometimes we ask them to put a little smiley face on a post-it note next to the camera. Mm. They should look at the camera, talk to the camera, and feel like there's something behind the screen, not just yourself. So yeah, I've got a little, I've got a little Elmo from my youth with watching hundreds of hours of Sesame Street that I tend to like position if I'm if I'm speaking and things like that. <laughs> Maybe some people will resonate with that. I think they're, they're great tips, and and me myself as a speaker, I've tried to. I guess myself improve my setup so that when I'm speaking at events, the experience from an audio perspective, from a visual perspective is much nicer for um, the audience as well. Cause you know, if we've only got two things to concentrate on, which is video and audio, then the best, the best that they can be makes it a much more comfortable experience. I think from attendees, I think we almost sometimes forget that, as a speaker, it's our, as speakers, it's our also our partly our job to like how we are coming across, how we sound, and how we look and stuff. Um, great, great tips. And I, I say it's it's quite interesting when you when you are facing very unprepared speakers um, to accompany them through this journey. It is quite quite nice, and you, you know when sometimes we we spent literally hours with speakers before, like they, they would attend a, a speaker check for an hour. They would use the whole hour and con- decide to reconvene because they want to actually, I'm going to go and, and get a, a, another headset. Uh, can we can we do another check next week? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we've got time. And it's nice to see when they're keen to work with them and adjust the framing, adjust the lighting, adjust the audio, uh, or get them to, to hire, to 
to, to borrow the, uh, a laptop from somebody else. It, um, and it's quite quite uh, interesting as well. Very, very nice moment yeah. to spend with them. I'd say also from, because um, we're talking about a lot of technical aspects, but one of the things we find a lot is that speakers come into these things not understanding how the event's going to run. Mm. How is their session going to run? What are they going to see? What are they going to do? So so the technical stuff, you know, you need to get all correct and it reduces all the risk there. But communicating, I think we forget that when we're on site, it's easy to communicate. We can talk to each other, have a chat, have a briefing. When it's virtual, everyone's spread out. And so talking them through the process. So you're going to come on, you're going to see this thing on screen. The session's running like this and the moderator's going to ask you questions after your presentation or at the end and get them confident so they can relax and then deliver a better session themselves. You take away some of those stresses, they can focus on what they do. I think that's such a good important uh, and important important thing that you mentioned there, Ben, because I've done that as a as a as a speaker when I'm in an in-person environment. It's a case of as long as my slides are with, if I'm using slides that are with the the company that needs them, then I'm rocking up five minutes before, get my lapel mic on, or take the stage, and I'm in the zone. Everything else is kind of just it's standardized, isn't it? You just, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't matter what the screen is or what clicker you're using or anything like that. As mm-hmm. long as you're kind of there, mm-hmm. then everything else kind of takes care of itself. But yeah, especially on a technology front, if you've got to click on some Zoom link and go into a green a speaker room and then maybe be thrown somewhere else and you don't necessarily know or be able to visualize what that environment's gonna look like from a speaker perspective. Yeah. Um I think so, so many different um yeah. ways you know I call them architectures of events, but you, we've seen dozens and dozens of, of uh, well, it depends on the platform, of course, but then the platform can be used in a different way. Sometimes you, you're alone, sometimes with your all your co-speakers on stage at the same time. Um, what, you don't know what people see. Uh, it's not very clear when you, you know, depending on the platform, when you're live, when you're not live, and people, you can see you, I'm sure you've seen this, a speaker that is lost. You can see in the, in the eyes, like, like oh, we're losing them. Like they have no idea what what's going on, and they are just out of their comfort zone. And they they should not be worrying about this. They should be worrying about that topic. They're invited. I'm sure they're very a very good professor in medicine or whatever. That's it. that's their knowledge. That's what they know. They're not good at they're even platform. That's not what they do. So you obviously do this for event organizers, event promoters, event owners. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see Go Remote doing professional speaker training for anybody who, who out there who wants it? Because I think, for me, speaking is such an untapped, valuable asset when it comes to propelling your career, when it comes to getting visibility on your company. Maybe it's just, you know, making sure you get a message over that you're really passionate about, whether it's sustainability or nature or, or anything else. Like, it's such an undervalued, undertapped kind of, equity in in marketing and communications and things like i feel like first thing that anybody asked me about like moving the career ahead in events it's like well get into speaking you know become somebody that's that's known for that subject or that niche do you get do you guys ever see the potential for go remote to go into that like here's how to be a professional speaker from a from an in-person virtual hybrid potentially yeah we've and we were looking at training generally as well across teams to make sure everyone's set and ready and knows what they're doing because the in the world we're going to see obviously now everyone wants to go to physical again but there's going to be many opportunities to do virtual events webcasts podcasts like this um get yourself out there get yourself seen and i think it's a very important skill to learn um just just understand how it works how to do it best how to deliver yourself well so no no i agree it's 
So we'll see if we get into that. So far, we'll be focusing more on the, the management of those speakers, of those kind of congresses and everything. Um, but um, there's always potential. We're always looking at, we've, since we started the business, we started it when we didn't really know what we were planning to do. We just yep. iterated until we found this niche. And then we've been continuing to iterate along. And I think we're currently looking again at, well, we're in a new world, we're in a new phase. So what's the next year, two years going to look like? And how? what's the best thing we could do to support people? I mean, speakers are still an important element of events that are sometimes a little bit, they're more valued on site, but when it's virtual, they've been a little bit forgotten about. It's often the audience, the sponsors, those sides of it. It's like, well, let's help the speakers. They're the kind of stars. They're the guys that, the girls that need to be um, central to the show, aren't they? You, you're so you're so right. There's been so much focus on platform functions, features, mm. quote unquote engagement technologies that all need all these tools that we think that we need to throw at attendees to make the experience a good one. Mm. And actually, when it comes to the main the main course, shall we say, the content and the speakers and everything, I don't know a huge amount of organisations that are using a partner like yourself to you know, as the professionals to facilitate all that. They're just relying on, I guess, the understanding that you're a speaker and you come on and this, and, and maybe send them a nice little email that says this is how it's going to work, right? Yeah, completely. Yeah, I think a lot of times it is like that and just hope they're going to all rock up and it's it's going to be cool. There's some production companies getting involved helping that process and doing it. And they do a wide range of other stuff. But no, it's um, I think we're one of the few companies that specifically focus down on that that little niche but, but i would i would say that for all those um event platforms owners the the people who are making those platforms and especially the ones where where participants can become speakers uh, mm. uh which which is a big uh trend you know when when you you you're a, uh, an attendee and and by clicking this link you can join a uh, roundtable discussion you can uh, uh, uh be part of uh, i don't know uh, um, I don't know, a side talk uh, or after um, after event talks or these kind of things and you, you become basically a, another speaker with your yeah. webcam on and your microphone on. Um, for all those ones, uh, having Go Remote would make their platform look uh, if, you know, shinier and and, uh, and I think the speakers are the, the, mo the best ambassadors of their, of the, of their platforms and, and if 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 we were there, <laughs> um, obviously I, I am a, a bit biased. Uh, but if we were there, I think you know the, the platform would come across as very easy to use because actually you've got somebody in the background saying, "Okay, can you see this button? This is how you share your screen." Oh, okay, I didn't see that. Okay, fine. Uh, okay, this is how you can mute yourself. Actually, your this is not the right device that you're using. You've got a nice headset, but you're using your the wrong microphone. So can uh, let me show you how to select this device for you. Oh yeah, okay, fine. And then. That becomes all obvious, and all the platforms are great. But I think some are more. You can get get a grip on the platform more easily than others, um, and with a bit of training, um, maybe it's uh, you know you can make the most of the platform. You you make a really good point, Gus. It only needs a well-known speaker with a following to have a bad experience, doesn't it? And maybe put something out publicly, and then that reflects predominantly on the technology. And it might have been them. 
ultimately at the end of the day or, or just a lack of understanding of how to mm-hmm. how things work in that environment or that specific platform because they all do work differently as well you know there's what 800 or something out there at the moment yeah. so everybody's used to zoom and teams and meetings and stuff but once you start getting into the more event specific platforms they all have their onboarding way their, their own way of onboarding you their own green rooms it's yeah it's yeah. a minefield and they turn up look most of them are fairly similar it's fairly obvious a lot of the time we've been on events and it's super easy share your screen mute your microphone turn your camera on and off but when they rock up and they're quite stressed they're about to start their session then they forget where all the buttons are it's just stuff that's really obvious straight away it's just a little bit of support to get them a bit comfortable first and then you don't have problems midway through and then and you know how speakers have a tendency we've seen this a lot of just muting themselves and and can you hear me um Oh, this isn't working. It's usually user error most of the time. Mm-hmm. Times out of ten, All the it's a user error type thing. So, a little bit of support there, I think, can really just help things move. And uh, and, and again, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but uh, we see uh, we, we have not we, we don't have any actual stats about this, but speakers over a certain age um, are just not good at it. And you know, something that is very obvious: this big red button there uh they can't say it because they don't even know what they're looking for and mm-hmm. and you know uh, when you you speak again there must be great um we, we've spoken to nobel prizes and and or, or i don't know professors doctors who are very smart i'm sure they are but they are just not good at this and they, again don't blame them for this that's not what they do for a living yeah yeah, smart doesn't mean technically minded, does it? Absolutely. Um, my wife will attest to this. She's a genius when it comes to certain things, but put something with batteries in it in front of her and she, <laughs> she melts. Uh, <laughs> talking about technology, right at the beginning, you mentioned that something that Go Remote had done is develop some of your own technology and your own tools in order to kind of make this process really like streamlined and seamless. It would be remiss of me not to ask you a little bit more about that. And I don't expect you to give any way secrets because, you know, there's lots of people out there that might want to kind of go out there and develop their own tools. But Hmm. is there anything you can tell us a little bit more about what those tools do and why they're in place and what you use them for? Of course. Shall I talk about that, Gus? I think I can start with it. So we we started working with a lot of congresses with large scale numbers of speakers. We've talked before 700, 800 speakers. And a lot of the industry, and I found this in events generally, there's Lots of productions run quite ad hoc. Mm. Excel spreadsheets. Um, everyone's got their own little way of working. And so we were trying to move away from using spreadsheets and moving to more of a database and a front end. So we, we built a database with a number of rules in it and a front end to the system so that essentially we can have all the speakers in there, all their contact details, easy to click um, and find information, what sessions they're on, um, all linked together. And then this links into some of our other tools. So speakers generally... When we do one of these events, we go through a process. We'd initially email them with some information about what they need to do. They might need to upload presentations. They might need to attend a one-to-one speaker check or a briefing session. Um, We have a semi-automated check system as well that they can go and click a link and run some tests. And it tells us if their internet is good, bad, the video quality is okay. So it all kind of drives from the central point and our clients can then log in and they can see where the speakers are. Have they completed all the things they need to complete? who hasn't come back to us. Um, and as well as on the day of the event, we have a kind of Trello system essentially, where each speaker would, they would be, would stand by waiting for them. And when they arrive, we arrive, they get them checked and they move across a board so that everyone in the event can see who's there, who's not, and who needs calling. So often we'd work with the production team. 
they could pick up a phone 15 minutes before okay we're missing these two speakers and everyone can see that so there's more visibility especially when you're all virtual you're all in different locations or sometimes you're in the same venue but everyone you're spread out it's just a good way to work to keep everyone on the same car um same page in terms of the speakers and where they're at i think a spreadsheet is such a dangerous thing to run an event on let's be honest about it people update the wrong things delete something even something as simple as an additional character on the end of a link or something like that and the whole thing's screwed right like it just doesn't work anymore speakers aren't getting to where they need to or that piece of information that you're using as a production or event host or something just it becomes worthless because it's not correct in that moment and when you're in that moment of live event you know it becomes so i'm glad to see that you guys are taking that as a more professional tool yeah, and the vision collaborative as well because we've like the amount of times things aren't version controlled either so mm. it's fun in the past you know, I'm not sure which version is the most up to date it's uh... i was going to say more dangerous than spreadsheets are offline spreadsheets and this is something like and yeah. I, mean, I do not understand how in you know 2022 you can still have events running off offline spreadsheets and oh did you get the most up-to-date one oh no oh i see you're working on the v13 oh no we're on the v17 now it, oh okay sorry <laughs> um so yeah i think you know the database uh, is really the core of what we do and we work uh the, the pre-production phase uh, ahead of an event is mostly working on the event organizers to make sure that our uh portal as, as we call it matches their database and um we, we've had a couple of cases where actually our way of working inspires them and, and they want to use our tool for this because it, it's, I don't know, that we probably we see it in a more simpler way than they do uh, because we come with this kind of fresh eye and we've got, a, I mean, for us, we want to know who the speakers are, when they're speaking and where they're speaking when there are multiple stages and it's very neat and, and straightforward. And then, of course, you want to add more fields, add more things. It's fine, but don't forget that's basically the, the, the main thing is here. Yeah, I, I know why we're still using spreadsheets offline. It's because people inherently like status quo, right? They've always used a spreadsheet. It somewhat feels more secure, funnily, I think, to some people being offline rather than online. And then, you know, do we want to learn new things? Do we want to learn new processes and things like that? Yeah. But I think the key to it from what I'm seeing or hearing from what you're saying is it's greater visibility, um, error management and mistake management, which can be really, really costly during a live event if something goes out that's wrong or incorrect or something like that. And ultimately making people's jobs easier, right? Like if there's, yeah. you mentioned, Ben, that visual aid of like, this is where somebody is. I can look at something and go, right, that is where they are, not row 15, column 17 of like, where's that person at that moment in time? That takes much, much longer, much more brain power to figure that out than a visual cue, right? Completely. So you like a bit of a user, user experience as well that you're going into. And it's, uh, no, I think it's super important. And it's just, it's something that I think the in events industry needs to catch up. I think it's probably because it's so split like there's such a group there's not there's obviously established com companies but there's a lot of freelancers and they all have their own ways of working and there's there's less compared to other industries maybe less um tools that have become the industry standard for this the industry standard for production for this for that it's grown a bit more ad hoc so i'm sure that will be i'm sure you know other companies that are, that are moving in that direction now and it's all starting to come together but it's uh it's i think it's maybe helped the last few years i think people working collaboratively in in different offices at home has meant that people have to collaborate with new tools, with new ways of working. So, yeah, 
good thing. Good. I, I know you, oh, sorry, go, go for no, it. I, I was going to say you, you mentioned not to share any secrets, and it's it's a, a secret that should be known by by everybody. But um, we we send calendar invites to speakers, uh, and this is something that um, if, if that can be the, the one tip, um, you need to assume that speakers do not read emails, <laughs> and 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 uh, basically they will remember about the talk when they, they received the, this ping notification on their iPhone and they, oh, oh yes, I'm speaking in 10, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and here's the link. And this is what you, what you want. And you want to make sure that they have the right uh, information in this calendar invite. The great thing about invites is that you can update them as well. And uh, as, a, as the organizer, you can monitor who has accepted and not accepted the invite. So it's kind of dynamic and very, very helpful to run an event. Uh, and you can also have more people, like several people in, yes, um, who, are, who receive the invites. Um, so you can have the speaker and the PA um, assistant, secretary, whatever. Um, so that's that's a very good tip to you to use. I totally agree. You are in control of those notifications and reminders, right? That that 10 minute warning, that 30 minute email, that maybe even the day before, like it's, it's surprising how many people's engagements when it's speaking just drops off the radar if it's not right there in front of them as yeah as their priority um in terms of an organizer so i'm an event organizer now i've got my event organizer hat on this is a challenge for me i've had problems with my previous events like i see the value in an organization like go remote kind of joining me and taking all that heavy lifting off and, and kind of polishing my event What's the process and, and what kind of timelines and lead times the organizations need to be thinking of? Clearly, we can't bring you in a week out from the event, right? We can't, you, you're not a quick fix two seconds before we're about to go live. But like in general, like what lead times and, and what's the process of working with Go Remote from start to finish? Do you want to take that or shall I? Yeah, here you go. Yeah. So we tend to um, start working with an event organizer 12 to eight weeks before the event. Um, it depends on what is needed. So some events we might check everybody. We've done some governmental events. So ministers, everybody has a one-to-one -one check and a briefing session. And obviously it takes, we could spend two weeks doing speaker checks with quite a few hundred speakers. Um, other events need less of that. So we can come in a little bit later. Um, it's really that on-site side, but we'd, we'd like to get involved with the communication beforehand. So some clear emails, the calendar invites, setting up the database. We need a few weeks to do that um on the event itself and you might also actually you might want to run like a webinar before so if you're splitting your speakers um you might section off certain ones that have a one-to-one -one check so your chairs um any vips anyone who's looking risky in terms of their setup and then you could run a webinar for the rest of the speakers so to keep the cost down and just to get the information out to them then on the event itself yeah as long as we have time to get the database set up we can come in fairly late actually if it's because often these things tend to get, the problems tend to get more pronounced close to the event. Suddenly there's like, oh my God, there are a lot of speakers that need sorting out. So we could come in fairly late and we we run speaker checks during the event. So the process when a speaker joins is if we've checked them, we can set the arrival times. So they might, if they've got lots of problems, we could tell them to arrive an hour before their session. Most of the time it'd be half an hour before. Um, that gives us time to do a final briefing, final checks, make sure they're all set, ready to go, moving through the process. And then, so there's enough time on the day to iron out most of the problems. The, the one you mentioned earlier on about location 
is a difficulty though. If you have one person who turns up and it's just the location is not working, you can get them onto 4G, but even then you might be losing them. You haven't got time to get them to move to another location. But um, that would tend to be the process in terms of timelines. And what we've done on a few events was a drop-in option. So speakers would, instead of booking a, a dedicated one-to-one -one speaker check, uh, speakers would attend um, just pop in a, in a room where we have some of our team, a virtual stage manager, waiting for them on a similar platform as the one being used. And we would go through the check, um, but yeah, on a without a booking. Uh, sometimes it's a very busy place, so you, we've got a whole team waiting there uh, just in case. Uh, but when you do that at the same time as the event, you can actually... Uh, use the uh, we, we use our resources of people uh, in a very efficient way so we still have people looking after the live stages and people looking after the the mm. pre-stage uh, uh, phase and it works quite well as well yeah. that's such a great tip i've never heard anybody kind of have that like live drop-in speaker area makes sense that a physical in-person events i've seen i have seen that there before yeah it, yeah in absolutely. that virtual environment that's such a good that's such a great a tip. Speaker we'll... preview room in the congresses kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Somebody who's left it too late room. That's what we'll call it. The, the, <laughs> the last minute people. <laughs> the last, or as we call it internally, the last minute lifesavers. It's those people <laughs> that come in right at last minute that save your life because they're there to support you. Such a great tip, Gus. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. In, I don't want to give people the wrong impression. Go Remote's not just for the mega events with hundreds of speakers, right? You you work with kind of small, medium-sized organizations. It's not just for one. Would you give us an example maybe of a couple of recent events that you've that you've worked with, what type of event they were, kind of the size and scale and things like that? Sure. So, um, yeah, it ranges from those larger congresses. We find it works well when teams can't manage hundreds of speakers, but when we go down to the smaller events, it could be either when you've got smaller but quite high-profile speakers. So we've done ones with, I don't know, you have the likes of Mark Carney coming in and then they need specific support all the way through the process. Um, but also equally, just smaller virtual events. It might be a two-day, a one-day event, a single stage, and you just need a couple of people, one or two people, just to manage that process, be there to support. And we do it's the same roles we'd be doing either way. We greet the speakers, we give them a final briefing, we do final checks with them, and then we sit there and support um, the event throughout. So if they need help during the event, we can jump in and assist them, much like um, the technician might be at any any standard event. And a lot of our team have been quite experienced in this world. They've been doing, they've had technical experience in the past, but now are probably after 10, 15 years experience. So they're all producers, production managers. They know how to speak to different types of speakers, They've been there and seen those different levels so they can get involved across the event. They can be pointing out things that might be happening. The platform that needs to be looked at, content questions can be solved, speak to the CEO at the same time on a call and be given the right, the right greeting when they turn up. Also speak the technical talk to the technicians when you need to do that. So we support the smaller ones as well. And often that's when organizations are doing more regular, smaller events. They might have one big one in the year and then regular ones that scatter between once a month, let's say. And yeah, I mean, in addition to what you just said, Ben, the, the, those large events, for, as you can imagine, when you're working on a, a large medical congress for 500, 600 people, it takes a, a lot of pre-production time and, and all this um, uh, investment to build the, the portal and build the database, as we said. Uh, for smaller events, um, we actually see when there is a series of events, uh, it becomes worth it because you do 
you set it up once basically, and then you can uh, replicate the same um, the same um, again. And, and our portal um, works this way, and and you can just uh, basically uh, yeah spin it up and and make a, a new version of it. So it's not. Uh, Basically, once the client has invested in 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 this, uh, we can do a yeah a quick two-hour event for, for them, uh, and then the scalability is going to be in our team. Uh, if we need a, a team of twenty virtual sales managers, it's different than uh, than a team of two stage virtual sales managers, and of course the budget is not going to be the same. But we can scale it uh, this way. Yeah, and this, this is also worth pointing out that um, internal company events as well. Um, large companies are always often doing internal events across the globe. They've got um, employees all over the world now and, and everyone wants to fly less. Everyone's used to Zoom. You don't need to go and travel to have a meeting with people as much anymore. So I think it's going to be much more. Useful. And I think um, we've done a, quite a few events like that, internal, not broadcast out, but they're quite high production values. Like I'm telling you, using um, some, some really kind of like complex tech and, and systems and they look great. And it's um, nice to be involved with those types of things as well. But you might have like 15 speakers. So where's the industry going then? This is the this is the million dollar question now. <laughs> dealing with in-person events is one thing. Dealing with virtual events is a whole different kettle of fish as we've as we've all come to learn over the last couple of years. Now you have the hybrid mix and that means lots of different things to lots of different people. It might mean a dedicated digital day followed by just purely in-person days. It might actually mean in-person content going virtually and virtual content coming in-person. This happened to me on Monday of last week. I was an in-person speaker looking at a live audience, but also on a, on a relay screen, a virtual attendee who was asking us questions remotely. Mm. Like, where do you see this? How do you see this playing out from, from your experience? Like, how does that, how does one start to look at virtual in-person hybrid that mix and, making sure everything's in the right right place. I know I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball here. Not everybody's <laughs> got the answers, but I'm just interested in your opinions. I, I think the, the you know, the, the fact that, um, I mean, hybrid events are, are not new and they, they're, they were they were a thing in in 2016. We I was doing hybrid events and they meant something else. Uh, and I think the variety of possibilities in hybrid events is, is great. And, you know, there are, as many formats as as uh, event organizers, and this is a great thing. And and you know you you you, you find some real um, weird combinations that actually work. Um, uh, back back then, uh, I was doing a lot of uh, multi-site events. So you have uh, you have eight uh, hubs in the world. Uh, which are connected. You've, you've got a live audience in all these countries, but they are all connected and you make them uh, through the technology. You, you create a, a, a master program kind of thing that is then uh, webcast to, to live people, to a live audience uh, over a website, things like that. Um, that was, yeah, like I said, seven years ago, uh, we were doing that. And, and now this is one more option among all the others. Um, to answer your question, I think, Right now, people are eager to to meet and to shake hands and to to have beers after their events. That's what they want. And 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 right now, I think everybody is sick of of <laughs> of staying at home and and doing this uh, from the office or from home. So uh, I think there is a a bit of a moment where people need to breathe because it's so it's it, it feels like new again to to be able to to go and, and take the plane and and and. Uh, 
and and that's it feels good uh, but i think uh, i hope to be honest um, that people will realize that um, you know the, the virtual aspect uh, is a great thing uh, in the long term it means uh, um, you know, less traveling, um, which is good for the planet. And this is a lot of people, we see that a lot of people are aware of this. Is it worth it? Me going all the way to Vegas for a two hour, essentially a two hour talk. And then of course I will meet my friends and I will go on this and that, but is it worth it? That and the time um, being able to, you can attend a Congress, five day Congress very heavily, but at the end of each day, you close your laptop and you're with your daughter, you're with your son, your wife uh, or husband, and you, you, you're there and you don't have, you know, you, you make the most of your time. Or those doctors, uh, as you understood, we, we're doing a lot of medical events. Those doctors that, are, that can be both in the practice on the hospital doing uh, heart surgery and, and then the, the next half hour they are on stage talking about um, an event. Um, mm -hmm. So this will become the, the future, I think, having a bit of both. Uh, but I, I definitely see the, the virtual aspect, the, the remote speaker aspect, uh, something of the future. And, and I think people will realize this is a, a strength and something that we, we cannot lose. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Yeah. I think, as Gus says, it's going to be that first next few months. Everyone's going to rush back to physical, which is after two years, we need that. But I think then we'll start to see it settling and we'll, the hybrid approach will become normal in a lot of ways, whether that's nodes in each country all linked together. I think that's a good way of doing things. You've got a hundred people in one place, 500 in another, five in an office somewhere else, all linked together, being able to communicate across the world um, or the other types of hybrid um, that you, you could be doing. But also it's hopefully event organizers see that once you're going into that model and you're recording everything, you've got the content so you, you can then embrace this idea. You can reach a bigger audience. You can reach them for longer. The event's not just around the event. You've got a longer tail before, afterwards, and some time before. Equally, you can command higher, higher caliber speakers, speakers who they might be able to do two or three big events in a week, but they're not going to fly to Barcelona, then to Shanghai, then to somewhere else again. But if they could do it online, you can get this. And so there's, I think the speakers themselves, if we're coming from that perspective, are going to see they're going to enjoy going for the first few and then they're going to start to think, do I want to be flying everywhere all the time? Mm. Actually, who will I go to physically? I'm going to go here, here and here this year and I'm going to do all the rest of them virtually. And I think you'll see that coming through soon. As speakers are going to, a lot of organisers we know are going fully physical now and so you can't speak virtually. But I think we'll start seeing speakers putting pressure on saying, well, I want the option. I've had the option in the past. So why are you taking the option away from me now? Because... Um, let me do what I is best for me. Absolutely. And those people generally are the most in demand. They have the least amount of time yeah. and they're expensive to bring in generally. I mean, that, that's not to say that there shouldn't still be value in bringing that person in, but you know, we've all seen the high profile speaker process. It's business class flight from X land on site within hours of the event, walk on stage, deliver session, maybe do a meet and greet and goodbye. And they're gone. Yeah. Uh, they've got other things to, to do. And I'm not 100% convinced that if you've got a really good event, you've probably got a core audience and community that support your event year in, year out. And then you've probably got a margin of what I call transitional attendees. They, they're interested, they love the event, but they'll make it or not based on their availability in terms of their time and stuff like that. Um, I'm not convinced that we've got thousands upon millions of attendees 
coming in just for one session. They'll, they'll either, if they can't get it, they'll dismiss the event totally. From my perspective, what I think we're leaving on the table, which is a whole other podcast, which is about the value of data and understanding an audience and being able to market to them for sponsors and exhibitors. Like if you don't have that person as part of your event and registration, you have no intent there, so you can't reach them, right? So they're, they're, they're never going to register for your event if they can't get that one session or, or things. I think there's a value in split. I think there's a value in going, hey, here's some online content of, a, of their nature, so you get some content but here's maybe some exclusive content from an in-person's perspective, and maybe that's the format of that session. Maybe it's roundtables and things like that just work better. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, I agree with both your points. There's there's definitely an appetite for in-person. I saw that, again, like I said, at Convex, packed stages. They had 16 content areas, all busy. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, could, they, could those attendees have got that content maybe somewhere else, maybe in a different format from a different organizer or something? But they were still there. They were still engaging with content and then everything else that goes around around that event as well. I think what you, you know, you just said, uh, people want exclusivity. And this is, I think, I mean, you, you can get exclusivity in, in many ways, uh, in, in person or, or remotely. Um, it's just how you, you bring it. And, you know, you can... I don't know, let, let's pretend that you're attending this 100%, 100% physical event and one of the speakers, so 99% physical event and one speaker is going to be, is going to be a remote um, and going to deliver a live talk and you can ask questions. Uh, and then let's say that at the end of this talk, um, a lucky, I don't know, 100 people can, or 50 people can attend a, a, a post-event um, post event. Um, talk with this person for half an hour, a lucky 50 people would be able to, to get it. And, and I mean, you, they, they would do it and this would be exclusive. And you know, you, you can get that, whether it's physical or, or, or remote, it doesn't matter. What they want is this, you know, yes, you're you're on a Zoom with us, with the speaker. This is all that matters to you. And, you, and you're there and you, you've got what you want. You've, you've got this, this chat with them and you're, you're happy. So yeah, it's how you, how you build it. I totally agree with you. I met someone really interesting last week who was giving me the the last two years they've been doing um, match day, virtual match day experiences for, for football fans. Yeah. They've had better feedback from those virtual experiences because people actually feel like they've got more one-on-one -on -one time and more closer time with the sports personality than they do actually going and visiting their stadium. And in some cases... Some of these attendees haven't been able to engage in that way for years because they live in further afield, like Singapore or Dubai or the Middle East. And to come back here to do a match day is a, a really special thing still. It's still something that those attendees aspire to. But this model has given them much greater access to the, to the people that they really want to support and engage with and things like that. So like you say, Gus, there's no reason why you can't kind of squeeze some of that exclusivity in there and still make it really special, right? You, you, I mean, what, what we often do, and you know, Ben was talking about it earlier. Uh, our virtual stage managers are stage managers, virtual, <laughs> and and we try to to replicate, you know, the what what is it in the real world, or mm. you know, the role of a stage manager in the real world, and we we, we do the the whole speaker journey basically, and how we want to to be there to support them in real life. This is exactly the same thing we want to do virtually. From an audience point of view, I think you want to do the same thing. Um, when when the i don't know whether it's a um, well, any event really a, a sports uh, music or, or medical congress is the same what the the fans want is basically 
to get a can I can I get an, an autograph uh, or can I can I speak to to you? And you know, at, at the end of a busy, a very busy lecture, busy. Um, conference you've got the audience leaving and you've got a group of people who just go to the side of the stage because they want to have a quick chat if they can if they, if they they're just there uh, or just to get a selfie or whatever this is what you want and you can very easily i mean there are plenty of models to make to replicate this online uh, and this this works better and and as you say it's more equal in terms of equal opportunities um because you yeah anybody who's connected uh, wherever they are in the world can can get this yeah i think it's an interesting what you're saying about the football again access is a uh, one thing that we've thought about also with virtual is most of the time speakers have been in their office in their bedroom presenting but there's a lot of opportunities to branch out from outside that so we're talking with um, some environmental events so you don't need everyone in an office why don't we have one person on their phone in antarctica and someone else in the jungle doing a conversation virtually from different parts of the world simultaneously. Let's embrace virtual. And with mobile phone technology, 4G, 5G, you can start to set stuff up and all the way around the world. You can have people connecting, having interest, make it more of a program, make it produce some of that, not just office setup, the same old thing. It doesn't have to be boring like that. There are opportunities, creative opportunities to engage audiences and make it a bit different, but it's still a virtual. Yeah, I think from a... So, go on, uh, go on, guys. You go for it. You go. <laughs> now, I was going to say uh, when I was talking about those multi-site events that we we used to do, uh, we we used to organize a, a while back. Um, I remember this. Um, it was a, an event for um, um, respiratory disease, basically, and you had uh, doctors specialized in the uh, in the in the area talking, arguing, actually, uh, saying, okay, this is the model of blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, how, how do you say that? And you've got people in Asia arguing with people in, in uh, I think it was uh, South Africa, actually. And they've, they realized that their model is very different because, of course, the, the, the it was about asthma and allergy or whatever. I'm not a specialist at all, but I remember that you had this thing. And just because they are their, their normal is not the same as their normal and the, the, it makes it very rich and yeah absolutely embraces and you wouldn't probably get that without that that virtual model or that remote model right it just wouldn't it wouldn't be possible to always bring those people together and I think that's one of the greatest things I see is the efficiency mm -hmm. but coming back to I guess the core topic that we've got here today is quality is a must right the, the the ease of those people engaging with each other if if somebody's having a bad experience as a as a speaker then and they drop off or they never come back if the audio or video quality is just yeah. not quite right then i think audio probably more than video right people can get away with a bit of a dodgy picture but as soon as it doesn't hit here right i think i think there is some statistics like we are X times more sensitive auditory to, to visual kind True, of thing. Yeah. So and messaging as well. It's the messages first in audio. Yeah. That's what absolutely. you hear. You, you can have great video and no audio. You're not going to understand anything. So I hope so, Ben. We are recording a podcast today. So if, <laughs> if not, we're, 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 we're down the I mean, I think more, even more important than the technical aspect is how at ease the, the, the person delivering their message is. <laughs> And this is really the, the crucial bit. And, and I think, you know, us as virtual set managers, when we, when you go and greet the president of Costa Rica at the Paris Peace Forum, for example, you spend this, this time with them to make them feel comfortable, make them feel like that there is no technical. This is, you know, and, and you make them um, 
they're nice. Yeah, you have time for a coffee. Don't worry. Absolutely, come back for a coffee. Make them smile. So when they arrive on stage, they feel like they're they're good. They know that they can focus on 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 what they have to focus about, which is listening to the moderator, answering questions, delivering their speech or or their PowerPoint presentation, whatever. But it needs to be a, a non-problem, basically. And and yeah, it takes some skills to 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 make this work. Uh, because when you have somebody super stressed or, or or very not IT literate, it makes it challenging. But this is the ultimate aim, really, is to make the the whole technical thing gone. Gus, thank you very much for that, mate. Um, ben, Gus, you've been amazing guest today. I think as much as the event tech talk show is often often looking at the very technology that runs the event, I think we often forget the service and support that goes along with that technology, especially as we're changing habits and transitioning into, into a bright new world. I think Orange, the mobile phone operator, I've got trademark on that, so maybe I'll have to, I'll have to take that bit out. Um, where can people reach out to you guys if they want to talk to you about Go Remote and your services and how you can support them with with their events? Where's the best place to go? So probably on LinkedIn. We've got our website you can go to and check out, which is goremote.team, um, but also LinkedIn. Um, we're very happy to uh, chat and always happy to meet people, jump on a Zoom and just just chat about your event. If you have any questions or about speaker management, how you can do it better, we're, we're always there to just consult and just exchange ideas. Amazing. I will link in the show notes as well so people can jump straight to your LinkedIn or the website. Guys, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for being such engaging guests. And for anybody watching or listening back on demand, do go and check out the Go Remote team. And please give this a like and a share if you found it helpful so others in your network can also gain knowledge and information that will help them produce better events. Thank you very much and we'll see you in the next one.